Howdy, y'all. Welcome back to Radical Food, where we discuss why and how we need to radically change our food system. This is your host, Logan Haley. I am so stoked to be back with episode two of this first season. I hope y'all will bear with me as I get into the swing of determining when I want to release these interviews, how often podcast episodes are going to come out, etc., etc., But if you are enjoying the podcast, you can, of course, always support by liking and reviewing the podcast on the platform you listen to, and maybe even heading over to our Patreon to pitch in a dollar or two every month uh, so we can improve things and get more really cool guests on here. Anyways, this episode is super interesting and awesome. I had the opportunity of meeting up with Neil Robinson of Farmageddon in Portland, Oregon. Neil is just an all-around super inspiring person. We talk everything from just small-scale organic farming methods to veganic inputs and the reliance of a lot of organic farms on slaughterhouse byproducts. We get into... Neil's history as a punk rocker and all sorts of different activism and social justice initiatives he's been part of and really nail down the importance of community and local food systems um, in the effort to radically change the industrial food system. So with that, let's go to the interview. I hope you all enjoy it. See you on the other side. Thank you. So, you used to be a punk rocker, and I was What's wondering... What's used to be? You're still a punk rocker. <laughs> uh, I was wondering if you could kind of give us, like, your background story. Could you talk about, like, how farming and, and like, beyond organic, veganic food is, is part of your activism and, like, the impact you think it has on, on your community? Me, I really wanted to get off. I wanted to get off the global food chain. I wanted to enjoy my food. And I shall never forget that first meal, the summer of 2005. I looked at that plate of food where everything on that plate was from what we had grown. And I had to sit there. And I was, I, I almost broke down crying. And that food tasted incredible. <laughs> you know? That's amazing. Um, so I wanted to get off the global food system. I wanted to get back to seasonal food. I wanted to be able to help educate people about that there should be seasonality. You know, as you're localizing, you have to get back into seasonality. The more people that have the experience or whatever, putting your hands in the soil. I think we've been, so much of society is separated from land and access to soil. And we all know there's a healing power there. It's been shown over and over again. Um, There was a recent study that came out of England where they took a whole group of land farm workers and then a group of city folk and they tested their flora mm-hmm. 
And even though majority of the farmers didn't eat organic, they were eating shitty food, their flora was amazing. And when they, they started taking swabs and they noticed under all their nails and under their toenails was soil. And they realized they were taking in all the good from the soil, just having their hands in it. And I look at society, I look at the problems with violence and the way we treat each other. I really do think the disconnect from our agricultural roots to this fake money route, you know, as well as in that, recognizing that, I do feel capitalism is obviously not sustainable. It can't go on. We can't have infinite growth on a finite planet. So I think very early I realized, you know, this is another skill as, you know, I managed to learn to cook. And that, that learning to cook took me all around the world. Whatever town, village I was in, I could go into a restaurant and I could get a job or I could go to a local church and find a group that's feeding people, you know. So I've always wanted to learn things that, because I don't want, I've always had this, this hate of authority. It stems from a thing that happened when I was a kid at school where a teacher picked me up by my hair off the chair and all I remember, and I have blackouts about it, I remember looking at every kid in that class laughing at me. And I had this thing about when people laugh at me. I used to have a wicked temper when I was a kid. So this teacher picked me up by my hair off the chair. All the kids are laughing at me. When he put down, I lifted that chair and I slammed it across his face. I broke his nose, his jaw, knocked teeth out. And I got in trouble for it. <laughs> I got expelled from school. Um, but I've always had this deep resentment of authoritarian figures. So I've wanted to, I've spent my life trying to find doing things myself separate from and when I got into punk and especially when I got into anarcho punk anarchism um, of course I wanted to separate from I didn't want to why would I want to be giving them money to go fight wars and kill children in other countries you know all these different pieces of government so um, I wanted to learn to grow food to get off the global market to learn the the seasonality of foods um, and just because I recognize that when things start collapsing people are gonna you know water scarcity is gonna it's hitting parts of the world we're not really paying attention I think primarily primarily because as as usually happens it's people of color that are suffering the consequences of our overconsumption so we tend not we tend to think oh that's them that's their problem they created that which is you know not so so we're going to be facing that so we are how to harvest water and how to grow your foods you know i think cuba is a great example as well i remember watching there's a fantastic documentary called the power of community um, 
And I love it for the fact that, you know, the way the farm workers are treated, all of a sudden they're like, they're these messiahs in the towns because they're growing food. Because um, they're like saving everyone after they're... like an artificially imposed <laughs> yeah, like peak yeah. oil into the world scenario with, yeah. with the embargo. And you know, early on, they were doing it all organically, um, basically because they couldn't afford chemicals, which I've seen a lot traveling around the world. Like, you know, when I went to North Africa, you'd never see anyone spraying anything because they didn't have money, you know. You may see them out there taking a leak on a cabbage or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't see chemicals, and so much of the world has been like that. But then, unfortunately, even in Cuba, as they started, you know, because there, there seems to be that issue of, and, and we, we've, we've faced this at the farm because very early on, we, even when we went organic, we, we decided that, and part of this is probably my laziness or my lack of education of, <laughs> I think I walked out of the first chemistry class because I was, I saw all the fucking figures and numbers. I'm like, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> so when I got into organic farming, I didn't realize that, oh, you you have to almost be a chemist as well to learn about all these organic allowed chemicals. So early on we said, you know, fuck any kind of chemical. I'm not gonna use any. I don't wanna get into it. If bugs come, and that's been really interesting because I did get a chance to live on a commercial size organic farm and I, I witnessed or experienced exactly the same issues. So a certain bug would come along, they would spray something that was organic allowed for that bug. And that just seemed to create another set of problems to where then there was another organic allowed that took care of that yeah. problem. And I was like... They're like on the treadmill. Yeah. It's like secondary pest outbreak. They're, pay, they're paying... They're paying a lot for the, all these different chemicals. And I was like, well, why don't we just try... We grow something. If a bug comes, it wipes it out. We start again with something different. And very quickly, I started learning about the seasonality of the bugs when they come out and you know um floating row cover and and other ways to and just also not and i think this is when you do you know our 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 financial um we're almost chained to the capitalist system to where the, the financial burden of the food we have in the field, not to where we compromise. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with it, but it feels like, you know, like I was telling, I was telling you about the purple sprout and broccoli, where last week I took a photo of it. It was beautiful. I'm like, oh, a couple of weeks, we're gonna, and then last, on Saturday, I walked in the greenhouse, took the remay off, and the mice had eaten all the heads. And I was laughing and Brian, my farming partner, came and said, why are you laughing? I'm just like, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful in a way, 
that those mice, <laughs> they really enjoyed, like, all of it. <laughs> and we don't have this... It's not... We don't have the financial pressure... The strain, right? Of, the squeeze. <gasps> we need that. All right, we've got to... We've got to kill all the mouse in this all the mice in this greenhouse, so they don't eat anything. And then you go outside, and we've got to kill every gopher. We've got to kill every deer. We, you know, and it, part of it is that that financial pressure the system puts on us. When you can, if you can shed that, and it's 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 hard to shed. I live on four dollars an hour. How I have no clue, but I'm I'm I'm. <laughs> but I want to separate from that financial burden because it's why so many chemicals are sprayed. It's why factories are full of chickens and cattle and you know. And the same with you know. It's why there's greenhouses full of organic plants in pots of water, you know. Um, totally and like having the community food system can help you can help to just like uplift everyone together so that so that food isn't so expensive and farms aren't so like squeezed for and I love doing stuff in community Um, I'm energized by others enthusiasm it just seems for me I think probably because I grew up in London, which folks look at as a socialist city within a socialist country. Um, But, you know, especially coming out of my folks having been children raised in the Second World War in London, where Londoners pulled together, you know, like they shared food, they, your house got blown up, you had a place to live down the down the road, you know, um, and my dad had always been very much a sharing individual. Um, I think that rubbed off on on me, and just you know, when we when we do community work here at Kailash, it's the labour is so much it so much more enjoyable. You know, you're not physically beating yourself up. Um, and again, I think as the capitalist model disintegrates, working together rather than, oh, oh, you know, I've got to do it myself because I'm going to get this X amount of pieces of paper, you know, yeah. <laughs> it will just naturally, I think, we'll, we'll get back into doing stuff in community. Um, yeah, I always have this, the first year we grew dried beans I'm not a good planner so everything is like trial and see what happens we grew a ton of dried beans I'd never thought about how the fuck do you get the beans out of the shell (laughs) (laughs) so we harvested all the dry beans it was a perfect year they were dried on the plant we then I figured oh well we probably I probably want to put them in in somewhere in case it rains. So we put them in the greenhouse. We had so many dry beans, and then I'm like, you know what? We should. I should invite folks to come up 
and we'll have some beer and we'll have a fire and we'll sit around and shell beans. And it hit me, I'm like, fuck me. In the old days, the little villages, they probably go from farm to farm, sit around a fireplace, tell stories, maybe some will play the fiddle, and they'll fucking shell beans. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, like, yeah, I could go to someone and throw it all into a gas-powered, but then I wouldn't have the experience of hearing the stories you know, of, of people and their lives and be able to share mine. And it was just this beautiful, you know how, how in farming, just sometimes, or maybe this is because I'm from an urban background, when something clicks of why, why it may have happened, it's just like, wow, it's so, it's like a, this window of, onto that era and I'm like wow yeah that must have been beautiful and this year we had no beans because the deer ate them all so we no stories to tell <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's amazing um I love that I mean it's really this podcast is all about why and how we need to radically change the food system and I think you really nailed it on the head on like so many reasons why the capitalist industrialist food system isn't working and also all the reasons why we need to come together and create community food systems yeah. to actually change things uh and to heal ourselves exactly yeah. to heal ourselves yeah. to heal society yeah. totally i'm a little simple-minded um so sometimes I, I i i often don't do stuff because i have any thought of how it will be perceived outside. I do it for myself. So it's tough for me to say, I, I, I didn't I didn't necessarily get in to this thinking it was radical to grow your own food. It was everyone else that started, you know, mainly because of social media and p social media, people being out to see this old, anarchist punk rocker is growing his own food that they other people seem to think it's radical um I now mean, i guess you could say it again I, ca I have to keep going back to this when i when i started to become you know you get raised thinking of the word domestication to me it was to do with animals Oh, there's domesticated, there's cats and dogs that live in the house, there's the undomesticated farm animals that live in there. I think at some point, for some reason, I started thinking, oh, well, shit, we're an animal. Surely we've gone through domestication. And when I started kind of thinking about just taking a walk to the supermarket. That's domestication. Mm -hmm. They know? have you trained to go yeah. there and consume. You know, like, again, there was this study done quite a few years ago where they went around public schools in the US, mainly public schools in poorer 
neighbourhoods and they just ask the simple question, where does food come from? 90% of the kids, that they were little kids, 90% of them said food came from McDonald's. They then asked them to draw a symbol of what represents food. And again, it was about 90%. All drew the arches. Oh my God, that's horrible. You know, that was quite a few years ago. But that, that is like, wow. They have done an incredible job. And again, there's the whole, I think I didn't mention this, but of course, there's the control piece. Whoever controls our food, whoever controls seed, you know, we've all, I think you can probably talk to 80% of the nation and bring up the word Monsanto and they will probably say, oh yeah, controlling seed, right? You know, mm -hmm. like, so when you start, you think about Nestle and their control of water and the supermarkets, their control of food and... You know, and part of me is like, oh, yeah, you know, not to get too conspiratorial, but you start realising that, oh, of course, no wonder the capitalist system, you know, they're, they're trying to perpetuate the capitalist myth. So controlling the food so that everyone gets a trickle down, control the water. So then when people do, I mean, we've heard about people trying to get off the grid in certain states where the counties have come and told them they can't go completely off the grid or mm -hmm. you can't grow food in your front garden etc etc yeah it's definitely this control so when you start trying to become undomesticated and this was this hit me a few years ago it was about two years ago that by the end of the year I had realised I had not bought any vegetables for the first year in my life in a store. I had not gone out to a restaurant. I'm, I'm also, this year, I've not gone out to a restaurant. I kind of stopped going out to a restaurant because of the issue of, you know, fucking food's coming from Cisco. <laughs> Pesticide buffet. Yeah. Pesticide like, buffet. You know, here I am going in this vegan restaurant where probably half of it's out of plastic containers, the other half's chemicals you know so I stopped going after it but that that year it just hit me at the end of the year wow I've gone a full year of only eating food vegetables and fruit from what we grew and it was I it was liberating internally I was like wow that's one of those chains I've got rid of and now that I've experienced it, I know I can carry it on. So this year again, I think I'm nearly, nearly there. We bought a little bit of stuff right now, but pretty much it's all been from what we've grown. Um, so if I can do it, I know we can all do it and just, you know, Stopping buying those cherry tomatoes that come in those single-use plastic fucking containers, you know, like, mm -hmm. I mean, I've been, I've been taking it to where I talk to the people's produce buyers about, you've, you've got to start, stop bringing in those clamshell containers, like, and then most recently when I went in there, 
Not only did they have cherry tomatoes, I'm about to stop them and I look on the box and this was, the, this was my first experience of it. There was a little, they were from Mexico and there was a little written thing that said, uh, man, they were basically aquaponic grown mm. and they, but there was nothing on the signage so I, I said to him, I said, as someone that actually wants to see my food grown in soil, I, I think you should put on the sign that they're grown aquaponically. And it was, I can't remember what it actually said. It had some weird, like, grown using, I don't know, some word. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, getting off a clamshell, so I, you know, I really... I talk a lot about that growing food in the community here is, you know, I'm always saying, oh, look, we've got all this abundance of tomatoes. There's no packaging. You can go out, you can harvest whatever you want, you know, and keep bringing up that kind of educating, sharing what I'm learning around the seasonality. Because as you all know, there is nothing beets an Oregon tomato that first tomato of the year and I'm not sure I'm not sure everyone else that eats tomatoes from Mexico or wherever else through the winter has that experience and I want them to have it because once yeah. they've had that experience they will be able to wait you know and know that it's natural to wait for these things totally you know, uh, went off topic as always <laughs> that's all right but I mean yeah I think you really drove the point home of like why like small scale beyond organic farming like it's not radical in the sense of human history because humans have been doing that for thousands of years mm -hmm. but it's radical in this modern day because our society is so dependent on corporations mm -hmm. and like to actually take your life into your own hands and say I'm not going to support the corporations mm -hmm. anymore and like grow my own food is is really a huge it's really like a political statement mm. in and of itself and it's it's super punk rock if you ask me <laughs> just get your hands in the soil you can find more info about farmageddon at the links in the show notes and you can also buy some of their awesome produce and beans and all other sorts of goods at the People's Food Co-op Wednesday Farmers Markets every Wednesday year-round at the Portland People's Food Co-op from 2 to 7 p.m. I love that farmers market so much, so if you're in the area, you should definitely go. I hope you guys enjoyed that awesome talk with Neil Robinson. We'll be back next week with part two of our conversation where Neil goes into a little more of his background growing up in England and how he ended up in the States uh, growing vegetables in Portland, Oregon. And join us next time. Thank you so much. Bye.